This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. The death of former Vice President Walter Mondale this week is a reminder that politics works in cycles. Mondale, a liberal icon for decades and the product of Minnesota's Democratic Farmer Labor Party, got his start at the precinct level, working his way to state attorney general and eventually U.S. senator and vice president. A protege of another legendary progressive, Hubert H. Humphrey, Mondale's politics as a Democrat were forged out of the New Deal. Mondale believed in the power of government to do good things for people. He was able to accomplish big things in the Senate in the 1960s and 1970s, and he rode that success to a term as Jimmy Carter's vice president. It was there he was able to refashion the office of the vice president to a far more active part of the presidential governing process. That model has stuck ever since, enduring and serving as a model for what vice presidents could do whether they were on the Democratic or Republican side of the ledger. Just ask Joe Biden, a two-term Veep himself, who served in the Senate with Mondale and was able to take that last step that remained elusive to Mondale, winning the presidency. Mondale made history in two big ways in 1984. He was crushed in his bid to challenge President Ronald Reagan. He lost in a landslide and offered his critics a lot of fodder as he promised to raise taxes to pay for government and its debt. Truth-telling, he said. It was a truth very few people wanted to hear. But he also made history by selecting Geraldine Ferraro to be his running mate. She was the first woman on a major party's ticket ever. Their colossal loss to Reagan made it look like GOP ideology was ascendant and Democrats would need to adapt if they ever wanted to compete again. It took a while, but Bill Clinton and other centrist Democrats were able to adapt and win office and compete with Republicans by playing on their own turf, talking about more efficient government, not bigger government, and modifying that message for their own benefit. Mondale remained an elder statesman and player in Minnesota politics up until the end. He campaigned for old-hand DFLers like Colin Peterson and Rick Nolan well into his 80s. And he also provided an example to up-and-coming liberals like Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, a fiery liberal who represents Minneapolis and who espouses the power of governments to solve problems. Almost unimaginable after that brutal 1984 loss, Mondale was an example to Democratic politicians, and this is something that Biden pointed out in his remarks after the Minnesotans' death at age 93 on Monday evening. Shortly after Biden's presidential win, my CQ roll call colleague Sean Zeller spoke to two House Democrats who did not enjoy coattails in the 2020 election, Donna Shalala from Florida and Ben McAdams in Utah. Reflecting on their electoral losses, even as Biden won, they discussed with Sean what they saw was a possible future for the Democratic Party. It's a question as relevant now as it ever was, given the great debates we're having about what government should or shouldn't do, and with our politics very evenly divided with Democrats narrowly controlling the White House and Congress. It's also a bookend to Sean's recent podcast with Republican Mike Johnson of Louisiana about the future of the GOP. I hope you enjoy it. 
Yeah, well, I think that um, the caucus needs to decide if they want to be a pragmatic and effective majority that works with the Biden administration to move forward census policies, or do they want to be a loud and vocal minority? They will make that decision now and over the next two years, but it'll be cemented in the 2022 election. That's Ben McAdams, elected in the 2018 Democratic wave by a mere 694 votes over a Republican incumbent. He always faced an uphill climb to re-election in his Salt Lake City district. To buttress his case, he established a reputation from the start for bucking his party more than almost anyone else in the House. But it didn't save him. He passed bills repeatedly in the House, only to see them die in the Senate. They haven't even died in the Senate. They, they just won't take them up. Donna Shalala rode the anti-Trump wave of two years ago, too, winning a Miami seat held by a Republican, Ileana ross Leitonen, retiring after nearly three decades. Shalala took a different approach. Sticking with fellow Democrats on almost all of the votes she participated in. It was, for her, a fight against Trumpism that she says is going to take still longer to overcome. I think it's something that could be worked through with leadership, but it's going to take a long time. President Trump has done real damage. Shalala could have easily rested on her laurels rather than run for Congress, as she did in 2018 at age 77. She had already served eight years as President Bill Clinton's Health and Human Services Secretary and witnessed the dawn of a new era of partisan polarization, then went on to lead the University of Miami. But she... Got pissed off at what was happening in Washington, actually. Republicans had failed the prior year in their bid to repeal the 2010 health care law, but seemed hell-bent on undermining it. When the coronavirus struck it only reconfirmed for Shalala the importance of expanding access to insurance, lowering drug prices, and facing disparities in the system harming racial minorities head-on. But in her one term, House Democrats were unable to do anything to counter President Donald Trump and a Senate held by the GOP. And Shalala lost in an upset. Still, both McAdams and Shalala are leaving convinced that the way forward for Democrats is the path they chose as legislators. Shalala sees Democratic success in overcoming Republican opposition. She saw a level of fealty by Republican senators to Trump that made compromise nearly impossible. They will not move unless they know he's for it. She favors eliminating the Senate filibuster, the requirement that most legislation receive 60 votes just to get things moving again. She's hopeful that Biden's six terms in the Senate could make a difference. I just think uh, words matter. The fact that he's a grown-up, that he's not focused on himself, that he cares about country, that he's a patriot. McAdams, a former Salt Lake County mayor and Utah state senator, came up in politics having to work with the Republicans in order to get anything done. He looks back with pride on bipartisan efforts to combat opioid addiction. We had disagreements. Republicans and Democrats had different ideas about how to approach it. But we worked together until we could agree on a common path forward, and we moved forward. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people's lives are better off. And um, they're now some of these people who were homeless heroin addicts in 2017 when we launched this effort are now 
personal friends of mine who um, one of them has just got approved to buy a home. McAdams ran for Congress with the idea of bringing those problem-solving skills to Washington. He was disconcerted by what he found. What was disappointing to me is um, how few opportunities there are organically to work along somebody, work alongside somebody from the opposite party, right? I mean, unless you are willing to deliberately and assertively build that into your schedule, which I did, it doesn't happen organically. Mm-hmm. It is easy to go throughout your entire day and never have a conversation with somebody from the other side. And McAdams saw no progress on that during his one term. I think that um, people seem to be just as far apart as they ever were. The focus has been placed on um, winning elections, not overcoming our challenges. Too many of his colleagues view politics as warfare, McAdams says. If you come here believing that the other side is the enemy, you won't have experiences to change that perception unless you speak them out. Shalala doesn't expect Republicans will ever help solve the problems she wants to solve. She says she's hopeful if we win the two seats. Referring to two runoff Senate races in Georgia next month that will determine if Democrats gain full control of government. That and Joe Biden in the White House. With a president who's experienced in the Senate, maybe we can get some things done now. I expect that we're going to uh, win. They're nervous. That won't matter much so far as McAdams is concerned. Washington has failed the American people in working to advance bipartisan solutions to address problems we're seeing in healthcare. To move past that, policy solutions must meet centrist specifications, he says. They call us the majority makers, but I don't think there was enough effort putting into listening to our perspective. In the debate between progressives like New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and moderates like Virginia's Abigail Spanberger over the party's messaging this year, McAdams comes down squarely with Spanberger. He blames his loss on the AOCs of the party. I heard from a lot of people who said that they were voting for Biden because they were not happy with Trump but they were uncomfortable voting for any Democrats down the ticket because of issues like defund the police and Medicare for all and the Green New Deal. Now, even people who know me and my track record as a centrist and independent uh, were concerned about the broader message of the Democratic Party. Those ideas will never prevail, he argues, even if Democrats gain control of both the legislative and executive branches. I disagree with a lot of the progressive policies, um, not just because it's bad politics, but I think it's bad policy. Both McAdams and Shalala agree that Democrats are united on the end results they want. Better and more affordable health care, a cleaner environment, greater access to higher education. The way to those goals is where the disagreements lie. Shalala does not see that debate as negatively as McAdams does. They have a disagreement about how you get to universal health care. That's just a disagreement about tactics and about strategy. Some of us believe we should build on the Affordable Care Act and expand it so we have better coverage. I don't consider that a fundamental ideological split. In Shalala's opinion, districts are different and require different messaging. 
But the party's big tent is big enough. She blames her own loss on a campaign by her Republican opponent, Maria Elvira Salazar, and GOP groups that vilified her as a socialist and on Trump. They were vicious. It wasn't just socialism, it was communism um, that they accused us of. But it was more than that. Donald Trump had coattails. He had worked the district for four years. He had been in and out of not just my district, the whole county, for years. He was in and out of South Florida. The anti-socialist messaging resonated among Latin American immigrants who fled repressive regimes. And it wasn't just Cubans, it was Venezuelans and Nicaraguans. They did a huge registration. Even the last six weeks, they registered, last 60 days, they registered 5,000 people. They went door to door. When we were so concerned about COVID, Joe Biden needs a, a Latin American strategy, an essential American strategy. We need to get the registration up, and we need to demonstrate that we're delivering for the community. For his part, McAdams, even as he stands by bipartisanship as the best long-term approach to politics, admits that it was a tough sell in the year when Trump sought re-election. There was a moment in my debate with my opponent where I talked about healing what's broken in Washington, and I said it's time to elect, we need to elect ambassadors who are going to work to... Uh, negotiate the peace. And my opponent said, I'm paraphrasing, but said, this is not a time for ambassadors, this is a time for warriors. Yeah, That's I mean, what Republicans and Democrats need to, ask, need to decide over the next two years. Biden, when he takes office in January, will have to cope with Republican strength in Congress. But he'll benefit from the goodwill of fellow Democrats who want him to succeed. When it comes to policy, his paths are limited. He can use the executive and regulatory powers of his office to pursue the sorts of policy changes on health care, immigration, and climate change that could please the left of his party, as Barack Obama did in his final years in office. Or he can urge Democrats to compromise with Republicans on center-right policy changes that they might normally reject as Bill Clinton did in overhauling the welfare system and balancing the federal budget. Biden can get some things done, but the rift within his coalition is likely to remain. Will the divisions within the Democratic Party become as great a stumbling block as the other side of the aisle? We'll have to wait and see. That's all for this episode of CQ Future. We'll explore the future of the Republican Party in an upcoming episode. For all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller.